I want to thank our amazing sponsor today, the Academy Therapy Wisdom. If you're a therapist, counselor, social worker, or in any helping profession, this is for you because this is specifically designed to elevate your practice. The Academy of Therapy Wisdom is more than just an educational platform. It's a vibrant community. They offer an expansive range of trauma training courses, workshops, and seminars led by some of the most esteemed experts in our field. We're talking about instructors like Janina Fisher, who brings a wealth of knowledge on trauma, Frank Anderson on trauma and spirituality, Deirdre Fay, who specializes in attachment theory, Darren Young, an expert in multicultural counseling, and Julian Taylor, who dives deep into neurobiology and memory reconsolidation. But what sets the Academy of Therapy Wisdom apart is its commitment to practical, real-world application. You're not just absorbing theories. You're learning from real-world scenarios and case studies that you can directly apply in your practice. Plus, they have a growing selection of self-care programs just for you. And because you're a valued listener to this podcast, the Academy of Therapy Wisdom is offering a free gift of two teaching dialogues between Dr. Frank Anderson and Dr. Janina Fisher. So go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Go to therapywisdom.com slash trauma podcast or click the link in the show notes to discover what the Academy of Therapy Wisdom has in store for you. The Center for Healing Trauma and Attachment, or CADA, founded by the visionary Doreen Hills, is dedicated to providing innovative and compassionate treatment for those seeking profound healing. CADA's mission is clear, to offer driven, passionate, and cutting-edge therapeutic approaches that not only heal trauma, but also address the needs of the soul. They believe that true healing goes beyond symptom management and is about restoring wholeness. So whether you're an individual seeking therapy, a provider, a therapist looking for training, or a member of the community in need of support, CADA offers quality and affordable trainings tailored to your unique needs. To learn more, visit chtainc.org. That's chtainc.org. All right, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson. My mission is to raise awareness of trauma and to support and inspire new trauma therapists just starting out on the trauma-informed journey. I do that with my membership community, Trauma Therapist 2.0, online courses and workshops, and the Trauma Therapist newsletter. If you're a therapist of any kind and you work with individuals who've been impacted by trauma, I invite you to head on over to my website at thetraumatherapistproject.com. That's thetraumatherapistproject.com. All right, let's get started. So five, four, three, two, and one. All right, folks, welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. I am very excited to have as my guest today, Krista St. Germain. Krista, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You are welcome. So Krista is a master certified life coach, post-traumatic growth and grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom Podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Chris's life was completely and unexpectedly flipped upside down. After therapy helped her uncurl from the fetal position, Chris discovered life coaching, post-traumatic growth, and learned the tools she needed to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so they can love life again too. Welcome to the podcast. Wow. All right, before we get going here, share with the listeners where you're from originally and where you are currently. Same. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I'm still here. I never left. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So 
very intense. Yeah. Let's let's get to the story here. So what happened? Yeah. So I was uh, 40. I was on my second marriage. It's kind of my redemption marriage, right? The first one went down in flames, had two kids, and I was just at an all-time high in my life. I really believed firmly that my best days were in front of me. I was just extremely happy. And we had gone on a trip. It was a volunteer trip. We came back. We had driven separately. And I had a flat tire pulled over to the shoulder of the highway. He pulled up behind me. We had AAA, but he was stubborn. He knew he could change the tire faster than AAA could probably get there. And so he said, you know, just, just let me change it. I just want to get home. Let's just change it. So I'm standing on the side of the road, texting my then 12 year old daughter to let her know that we would be late. And he's digging into my trunk in between his car and mine, trying to get access to the spare tire and a driver who we later found out had both meth and alcohol in his system did not see us. It was broad daylight. We had our hazard lights on, but he didn't see us, didn't break and just crashed right into the back of Hugo's Durango and trapped Mm. him in between his car and mine. Yeah. And within a day, you know, what felt like the best life ever just kind of felt like the worst life. Where were you positioned I was actually standing off on the shoulder and I was looking down. So I was looking at my phone, texting my daughter, and I just heard the noise. So fortunately, I wasn't there. Fortunately, my children weren't there, but, you know, didn't save him. So. So how do things unfold? Yeah, I mean, initially, you know, there was an intense day of chaos in the hospital where they were trying to save him. They tried really hard, ended up actually being a combination of things, um, an error that was made in the hospital, you know, trying to perform a procedure that had some known risks. It didn't work to our advantage and he coded and, you know, they tried CPR for about an, gosh, it was like an hour. They're trying to bring him back and it just didn't work. So, um, yeah, he died and that, that was just kind of it. So it just felt like the rug got pulled right out from under me. I had a brilliant therapist who had helped me through my divorce before. And so I almost immediately went back to her. Right. And that's, that's what helped me get through those early acute days was just talking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Being able to tell the story as many times as I needed to tell it without feeling like I was burdening other people around me. So yeah, it was really, it was really crazy there for, for a while. So you, um, okay. How, how long was it? From the time you got divorced to this moment. Okay. So I got divorced in 2014 and yeah, this was 2016. So we had, oh. we had recently married, we had married in April um, and it was August. So we were practically newlyweds and we had just kind of gone on our honeymoon and we had been living together for a while, but we had just married. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like, um, divorce is crazy and, and traumatic I'm, I'm going through divorce right now actually oh okay yeah I'm, so, I'm with you um uh and then to experience this what do you do yeah. what do you do what do you think what was your process you said you had a brilliant therapist i i did i a huge part of part of my process and different things for different people. Right. So when I say it, I don't intend for it to be like prescriptive or anything, but what helped me was a lot of, uh, journaling. I just wrote a lot 
And I wrote a lot of letters to him. In fact, um, I, I just started a journal and, and when I felt like it, it was, you know, dear Hugo, and here's how my day went and here's what happened. And I can't believe this happened. And I can't believe you're gone. And here are all the things I don't want to forget and hear all my worries and fears. And I just kind of got it all out. And that was helpful for me. I spent a lot of time on my back porch, which it, for me was very therapeutic because there's nature back there. Uh, you know, I, I found a lot of peace and solitude. I had a very supportive family who gave me a break, right? Watched my kids when I needed to be alone. Um, he and I actually worked together at the same company. So that was a gift because so many of my coworkers knew him. In fact, some mm -hmm. of them knew him better than I did. They'd known him for 20 years. I'd, I'd only oh. been there for 10 years. You know, he'd been there for longer than I had. And so I had a really supportive um, community there. I have, have been a fan of tapping for, I don't know, a decade or more. And so fortunately I had that tool in my back pocket as well. Um, so I did, I did some tapping and I just did a lot of talking to my therapist. I tried to read before this loss. I had always been the person who went to books and mm -hmm. experts, but I did have quite a lot of widow fog, grief fog, and it was hard mm -hmm. for me to read and retain. Mm -hmm. So I did try to read. It, it wasn't as productive as I had hoped it would be, but at least I got a little bit of an education about grief in the small amount of reading that I did. Um, you know, because I came into it only knowing the five stages of grief and thinking that that's what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so at least I did a little bit of reading to realize, okay, that's not, that's not fully representative of what most people experience. And I don't need to be cramming myself into those little boxes. Um, yeah, just talking about it. It was, it was crazy. I don't even remember a lot of it, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, what were some of the things that, you know, people reach out and they try to be supportive. Yeah. And sometimes what people say, <laughs> excuse me, even, even, even though they're trying to be supportive, just it doesn't feel right for you. What were yeah. some of the things that didn't feel right for you when at a particular time? Yeah. He's in a better place. Don't worry. You're young you'll find someone else. Uh, at least he's no longer suffering. Right. Um, you know, th things that I think people, again, they, they mean well, but they don't have the capacity to sit with us in our, in our emotion. And so they say things to try to make us feel better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, it, it, a lot of women that I work with now, because I, I work with widows are very offended when people say things like that. I didn't receive it in that way, I could tell people were trying to help and they just didn't understand. And so I didn't really push back or try to correct them. I just said, thank you. Did you, how, what, what sense did you make of this? Did you feel it was necessary to, okay, maybe it means this, or it means that would, did you think in those way terms at all? Not really. I really more thought about, okay, this is the, this is the part where I'm going to have to separate what I can control from what I can't. And it, originally I did quite a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda kinds of thinking. You know, if I just had had that tire checked, if I had just pulled up further on the shoulder of the road, because where it right. happened was kind of a narrow spot. If I had just insisted, we call AAA, you know, I could have prevented this. And I did a lot of that thinking. And then I just kind of realized at some point that there was that thinking wasn't going to take me anywhere productive and that it really didn't matter 
what I would have, could have, should have done because I didn't. Right. And I did the, I did the best at the time with what I knew and it happened and, and that's it. Right. I don't, I don't have to rail against that it happened. I don't have to love that it happened, but I do have to acknowledge that it happened. And, and I found a lot of power in that, that I could just acknowledge that it happened and then decide, okay, now what, Mm -hmm. right? Who do I want to be given that it happened? Right. Did you feel it was necessary to ascribe a certain meaning to it? Because obviously there are a lot of Mm -mm. religions out there that, that, have, have certain ways of looking at things like this. And Mm-mm. no, I just, in fact, it was interesting. The trip we were coming back from was a, is a camp program for children who are blind or visually impaired. It's called Heather's camp. And it's a camp that I created. It was like, I oh, created wow. it. Yeah, I know. Right. In <laughs> 2000 with some friends of mine, one of our friends was murdered and we created that camp in her memory. Oh and gosh. so, yeah, I know it was a really pivotal experience in my early twenties. And And so I, I remember thinking about it like that, thinking that made no sense to me, how something that awful could happen to someone that, that wonderful, like it, it made no sense, right? Four people were killed in that, um, event we'll say in my community and they were all young and amazing and they did nothing wrong. And it it just didn't make any sense. And I never really needed it to make sense as much as I needed to decide who I wanted to be in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And do something that for me added value to the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and took something and, and tried to bring some good into the world because of it. And so I knew that that could be done because we had done it for mm-hmm. Heather. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could imagine that that could be done in this situation, but it was never, there was never a moment where I really needed to know why or believe that it happened for the greater good or some higher purpose. Um, that, that didn't resonate with me. Right. Or whatever meeting. I mean, people can ascribe, you know, this me, okay, this I'm ascribing a certain meaning to it. Um, and therefore that's how I'm going to get through this, but you didn't need to do that. And again, mm-hmm. people work through these things in very different ways. But what I'm hearing you say is I acknowledge it happened. It it did happen. And okay, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? How yeah. what am I going to do moving forward? Now how what? am I going to take action? Mm-hmm. Um so what did you do? <laughs> uh well, eventually I went back to work. That actually was helpful because again, so many people knew him and loved him. And I just tried to to get back to to functioning first. Um, and then, you know, I spent a few months in what I would, I would say is like a functioning, but very hollow and robotic place Mm -hmm. where, you know, people are saying, Oh, you're doing great. And (sighs) you're so strong. And you're like, is that, is this what great feels like? Cause I don't think I feel great. And, um, yeah, I actually had decided, okay, I think I want a career change. My therapist was telling me to become a therapist. She was saying, like this, you were meant to do this. Come do this. You can work for me. <laughs> she had it all planned Why? out. Why? What made I her say that? Um, I think she recognized in me what many people did, and probably what you know, any any therapist probably feels this way. That you're the kind of always that person that people come to, right? To they always want your opinion, they always want your your insight. You feel the need to help. You, you are compelled to help. And mm-hmm. I think she saw that in me too. And, you know, I had, had nothing to do with my career in terms of what I did technically, right. I, I worked in aviation and I was in an 
a management role. It, it really didn't have anything to do with project mm -hmm. management or the kinds of projects that I did. It was the kind of person that I was and the role that I filled for people. And so I thought, yeah, you know, maybe that is what I'll do. And so I enrolled in an MFT program and I was waiting for it to start. I had it, I needed to go back and get an abnormal psych class because I didn't have that in my bachelor's bachelor's degree and that was a requirement. And so as I was waiting for this semester for the MFT program to start, it was it was going to take about eight months before it actually started. It just so happened that a life coach I had been following started a program that made sense for me to join. Hmm. And so I joined it and it was so powerful for me that then I went from, well, I'll go through MFT school and on the side, I'll also go through life coach certification. So maybe that'll be kind of the, my side hustle because it's going to take a couple of years to, you know, get through that program. And before it started in August, I had completely talked myself out of it and decided that coaching was actually the path I wanted to take. It was so powerful for me that I was like, nope, it actually feels scarier to be a coach because in my mind, coaching was still a little sketchy uh, in terms of how other people would see it versus, you know, therapy has a, a a path and a certification and it's, it's got credentials and, right. uh, seems a little bit more respected. Um, but I just decided, no, this is not what I was meant to do. I was meant to be a coach. And so, so what about that particular program was so powerful for you? Are you ready to become the best version of yourself? Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support, and it is 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. No more worrying about finding the right provider or scheduling appointments. Cerebral brings it all to you whenever and wherever you need it. To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving you, the Trauma Therapist Podcast listeners, 15% off your first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started by going to Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code the Trauma Therapist. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L.com slash podcast. And don't forget to use the code the Trauma Therapist to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Please see site for details. Going Inside is a new podcast on a mission to help you heal from trauma and connect with your authentic self. Hosted by licensed trauma therapist John Clark, this show explores trauma healing through the lens of internal family systems therapy with detours into EMDR, somatic experiencing, and much more. Tune in for enlightening guest expert interviews, immersive solo deep dives, real therapy sessions, and soothing guided meditations. Head on over to johnclarktherapy.com slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. Once again, head on over to johnclarktherapy.com forward slash podcast or search for Going Inside with John Clark on your favorite podcast platform. It just helped me so much. It helped me make sense of how to manage my own life, right? It felt very tangible and practical and applicable. It mm -hmm. just all, it, yeah, it, I just, from, it was crazy to me that I could have spent so much time in therapy. And this is no, no insult to my therapist or any, anything that I did, but the amount of time that I spent working on myself prior to this compared to what I experienced in that short window of time 
the, the amount of uh, change was so dramatic for me, so dramatically different. And I, I just attribute it to the tools in that particular approach. Well, can I you be more specific? Cause this sounds really good. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you gotta be more specific. I, I had, I, I had an inkling before that I was not my thoughts, right. That I was the thinker of my thoughts and that thoughts mattered, but I didn't know how to actually create any change with that. Right. I didn't have a tool that helped me recognize when a thought was moving me toward what I wanted or away from what I wanted. Right. I didn't understand how to cultivate thoughts. I didn't understand how to change beliefs. I didn't understand how to, because what I was struggling with was this little voice in the back of my mind that was saying, you know, your best days are probably behind you. You should probably just be grateful for what you had because it's probably never going to get any better than it was. Like, that's as good as it gets. Nobody's Mm going to love you like that. Nobody's going to, you know, appreciate you and your shadows and all of that. Like he did, like it's, it just doesn't get any better. Right. And it felt so real. I wanted to believe it was optional, but, but until I got a tool that said, okay, here's how you identify a thought as a thought. Here's how you truly tell the difference between what your brain is observing and, and the observation Mm -hmm. so that you can change it, right? So that you can stop believing your own cognitions and start actually choosing on purpose what you want to think. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, that was everything. Just being able to have it. So I went to the life coach school and I don't know if you're familiar with the life coach school, but Brooke Castillo has created a, a, a very elegant but applicable tool called the self-coaching model or the thought model. And it simply says that there are things that happen in the world, circumstances, right? Those circumstances don't create our feelings. They don't have any power over us. Then we have a thought about them and that thought creates our feeling and that Mm -hmm. feeling drives our actions and those actions create our results. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we have tens of thousands of thoughts every day, but we don't need to model them all. But generally speaking, how do we help ourselves by understanding what our own thinking is creating? And once we see it as optional and separate from who we are, then we can get some leverage over it and choose something different. Right. And that, and, and also just learning how to allow feelings in a way that I hadn't before. I really always saw them as problems to solve. I did not mm-hmm. see them as experiences to allow mm-hmm. and shifting into that experience of realizing, no, actually you know, negative emotion is supposed to be part of life. It is not something I need to change. It's just something I need to learn to let flow through me. Mm-hmm. That was news to me. Mm-hmm. So you enrolled in this school, you got certified. How long was the certification process? The certificate that at that point in time, it was, there was an in-person component, which was a week long. And then there was a practicum follow-up that was another six months. So I went in August and then finished by December. So I guess not quite six months. Okay. So whole career change, whole career change. And then I left my job. Uh, yeah, I certified in December. I quit my job in January. I actually went to go and do a, a, a job for the life coach school. They had hired me and it was on a temporary trial. Thank goodness, because I don't think I'd ever left my job if they hadn't done that, but they hired me. I went, it didn't work out. I actually was only there for about six months or six weeks. And, uh, and then Brooke said, I love you. It's, it's, but it's not working. And I was like, you're right. It's not working. Mm. And then I just decided I'm not going back. I'm not going back to my old job. I'm going to make this work. And so, so then I went to coach on my own. So you coach on your own. Now, what, what did you want to bring to, to being a coach? Mm. 
you know, when I certified, I actually didn't want to do grief. I didn't want to do anything with grief. It was, it was a little bit too early in my own work at that point in time. I imagined I would be sad all of the time. Um, it seemed like it would be just too heavy. And so I didn't go into coaching with the intention of helping people in grief. It wasn't until I actually certified and I was done with the certification and through the course of the certification had to do more of my own work that it started becoming apparent to me that it didn't make sense for me to do anything else, mm. right? Like that's what made sense to me was to give people a better experience than what I had, or at least the tools so that if they wanted to have a better experience than I had, it would be more readily available to them. And so at that point I decided, okay, I think I'll work with widowed moms and my, what I see so often. And when you asked me what it was like too, when he died, when I went online for resources, I was so depressing. You know, what I saw was just a lot of, you know, people not knowing that post-traumatic growth was possible, right? Not knowing that it actually is possible to love life again. And that if you choose to do that, it doesn't mean you didn't love your person. Mm -hmm. You know, I just found a lot of, well, it's been 10 years and I'm still crying every day. And, you know, it was just really depressing. And, um, you know, I never have an agenda for what someone should do but I want to expand their idea of what's possible for them. And when they use new normal as a resignation, I, I can't have it. Right. I just can't mm -hmm. have it. There's just, it, there's just no reason to do that to ourselves. And so, you know, I like expanding people's ideas of what's possible and then giving them the tools that they can use to help themselves get where it is that they want to, they want to be and have the life experience that they want, even though this awful thing happened. Right. Right. So uh, two, two things I want to ask you about one, you mentioned you wanted to provide maybe a better experience than you had. What do you mean by that specifically? Well, specifically, you know, I, again, I didn't know that feelings weren't problems to solve, right? I spent a lot of time trying to get away from them and avoid them. I didn't know much about grief. And so I thought, you know, there's an end to it. And if I just follow the steps, surely there are some steps and I just need to find them and follow them. <laughs> right. And yeah. if I follow them, I will get to the end. Someone's and, listed them somewhere. <laughs> right. And there's, I bet there's a grade and I could probably get an A, right. That's, that's my personality. Um, and, and just really when you don't, when you live in a culture as we do, that doesn't do a great job of, of normalizing grief, right. And helping people learn coping skills so that they can have a, a better, you know, experience of, of their emotions. We end up with a lot of, of suffering that is unnecessary. Um, and, and just a lot of, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to say suffering. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to eat my feelings, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> I didn't need to try to avoid them. So many women are out there thinking, well, I just got to get through the first year. I'll just hold on, you know, and walk us through. I just want to remind everyone that I'm speaking with Krista St. Germain. Krista, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Uh, well, I have a podcast, the Widow okay. Mom podcast. They can listen to that or coachingwithkrista.com. All my contact information is there. Coaching with Krista. Mm -hmm. K-R-I-S-T-A.com. Uh, okay. mm -hmm. Uh, I'll have that linked up at the show notes page sure. at the trauma therapist podcast.com as well as your podcast. Awesome. We'll talk a little bit about that. So granted everyone's experience is different, but walk us through, give us a taste of when someone comes to you and they are operating on, well, this is my new normal. How do you work with them? Give us a, give us a yeah. taste of what you do. So I work with people who are in that kind of what I call a grief plateau. 
meaning that they're, they're mostly beyond that acute grief. They're back to functioning. You know, it's no longer a challenge to take a shower, right? The grief fog has for the most part passed. They are to the outsider's eye. They look as though they are back to normal, but on the inside, they don't feel like they want to feel right. So that's, that's the spot where I can be of the most value. And they might potentially know or know that more is possible or want something more. They just don't exactly know how to get it. Right. And so the two things that I, I focus on primarily, and, and then we kind of get into the specifics that, that specific areas of application, but the two things that I focus on are helping them change their relationship with their feelings first and foremost, and then change their relationship with their thinking. Hmm. Right. When we do those two things, it's like dominoes, right? We knock down those two dominoes, then all the other dominoes can start to fall. So when we shift from thinking that feelings are problems to solve, right? To, to believing that feelings are just experiences to allow, right? To shifting from believing that feelings are something that we are at the effect of, as opposed to something that we can actually create with our thinking, mm-hmm. right? Those kinds of shifts. And that happens through experience. So I literally teach them what a feeling is, and how to feel it, how to let it flow through. And we practice, right? And I, um, I'm i a big fan of tapping, like I said, so I teach tapping as well. And then we start thinking about our feelings. Like a lot of what we're, we dread when it comes to feelings isn't the actual feeling itself, right? What we dread when it comes to feelings is all the resistance mm-hmm. that we create in our mind. So we work on how do we, how do we remove, I call it clean and dirty pain, right? How do we m- remove all the dirt so that, so that we don't have this extra awful experience, but yet still allow pain because pain is always going to be there. It's always going to be part of our human experience. It is supposed to be there, but when we're trying to get away from it or avoid it or make it go away or afraid to allow it. And so many widows, they don't even, they're so afraid that if they let themselves feel they'll fall apart. Mm-hmm. right? That they'll go into a black hole and they'll never come out. Or, you know, that now because they're the ones parenting and there's no other adult there to help them, they don't believe that allowing themselves to feel is a luxury that they can afford. Mm. And so they're just gripping. Right. And so helping them, you know, see that they actually can, and it really isn't the black hole that they think. And, and, and through experience, developing some confidence that they really can let feelings flow through. And if that's the worst part of grief and we get good at that, then everything gets easier. Yeah. Well, that's intense. This I'm kind of relating to a lot of what you were saying. I don't think it's just applicable to widowed, widowed moms, Yeah. but let's briefly talk about, uh, your podcast. Uh, What's the Mm -hmm. name of the podcast? The widowed mom podcast. Okay. And what do you do there? It's very niched. Yeah. All things, grief, all things, post-traumatic growth, all things. Usually when people listen to my podcast and they are widows, you know, they come away and they tell me it's like you were reading my mind, right? I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest about the struggles and, and how we can think about them differently and traverse them and navigate it. Cause it's a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I mean, especially when you were saying in the beginning, you know, you had uh, gotten divorced and you got into this marriage and you were like, this is it all in your, what did you say? It was your redemptive. Yeah. It was like my redemption story, right? Redemption it's a proof story. That amazing relationships are possible and you can be treated the way you want to be treated. And yeah. Yeah. 
Krista, thanks so much for coming on here and sharing your story and being open. It's intense, man. And I really appreciate the way you've you've talked about how you've moved forward. It, I think I think it takes a lot of energy and guts and courage to to move forward, to make that decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it does, but anybody can do it, right? It's not. Yeah, but not everybody diminish myself, but yeah, but like I, what I, what I really want people to hear is that it's not just for the special snowflakes, right? right? Anybody can, can choose to, to still love life no matter what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. All right. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast and I want to let you know that I am very excited about my new podcast, The Right Now Project. The Right Now Project is about healing. It's about stepping into our own courage and authenticity and getting started or continuing along our healing process. We're all going through something, whatever it is in this crazy life we're living. And The Right Now Project is about honoring that, celebrating that, and sharing our stories via the associated membership site. Check us out at therightnowproject.com, therightnowproject.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.